Good morning. Good morning, you're so welcome to church today. If you haven't found a seat, please make your way in and find one. There's plenty up here on this side. It's so good to see you, church. Can I invite you to stand to your feet? We're going to begin our service by worshiping together. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I have it. 
the God of covenant and fearful promises. And time and time again, you have proven you'll do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain
is finished Jesus you are greater than it all death couldn't hold you you rose in those words oh the blood of Jesus is greater it really resonates today with us the blood of Jesus is greater um, I love it when you read something in the Bible and it just speaks to you and you realize that every word in the Bible every single dot above an eye is supposed to be there and I was reading one day not so long ago and um, I was actually focusing on the crucifixion and I read this for these verses um, it's in John 19, 28 to 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine vinegar stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And I remember thinking, hyssop, I've heard of that before. Couldn't think of where I've heard of it before. So I thought, well, Put it into context, what's happened? It's a crucifixion. I went back to the previous Gospels, the other three Gospels, and it's not mentioned there. This word hyssop isn't there. What is there? Is they talk about a stick and a sponge, but nothing else. So again, I thought, right, put it into context. What is happening? The Passover is happening at the same time as the crucifixion. So I went back to the very first Passover. And listen to this. This is where it's, the Word of God is incredible, where the Word of God is alive and active. This is what it says in Exodus 12, 21 to 22. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood, 
that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts where the blood is in the basin. So take the bunch of hyssop, dip it in the basin, the lintel to the top of the door, and then the two sides, pointing us to the cross. The blood, the hyssop being used, pointing us to the cross. And even further than that, this is where I think the Bible is just, it blows my mind so many times. In Psalm 51, verse 7, David says this, after he's been confronted by Nathan the prophet, after his troubles with Bathsheba, he says this, Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And purge is a verb. It's an action that actually means cleanse. Some translations use the words cleanse. Cleanse me. So here we already have hyssop at the crucifixion. We have it in Exodus. We now have David saying it. It's used in other parts of the Bible, all to do with sacrifice. It's all to do with atonement. Everything pointing to, to the cross. We have this simple plant being used at the start of the Bible, in the middle of the Bible, and now the crucifixion scene. All reminding of the cleansing blood of the Lamb. And as the hymn writer writes, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, and no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen, it's incredible. The Bible just is a story of redemption from beginning to end, and the whole way pointing to the cross. And so we come to the table behind me. Um, if you're a visitor today, we welcome you. We welcome you, and you will find... Um, just beside your, your chair, a little cup like this. It's got two parts to it. The top part is the bread. Um, and if you peel back the first part. Now, if you know um, and trust and serve the Lord, please take it with us today. And if you don't, just leave it where it is. This is what it says in Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're just going to take the bread right now. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. We thank you that your word is alive, active, and true. And we thank you that from beginning to end, it points to the cross. And we thank you for this bread that represents your body that's been broken for us. Amen. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Lord Jesus, 
for this wine that represents your blood, your blood that flowed for us, that washes us as white as snow, and we trust in you. Amen. Church, in response to what we have just heard, we're going to worship together and I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet for one more song before Pastor Matt comes to bring the word. So if you'd like to stand to your feet. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And all precious is the flow that makes me white as snow.
church, you can take your seat. Church, just a few things that we want to make you um, aware of before Pastor Matt comes to bring the word. Uh, first of all, if you have kids, they're so welcome to come to church. We actually put on a program just for them, so as pre- um, and it's for primary school age kids, so as they come through the door, um, you'll see a door on your right hand side as you come in, and that's where the kids who are primary school age go. Um, just as you come in, you leave them there, and then you'll meet them again at the last song, and they'll have their own program, they'll enjoy themselves, and we really encourage you to send them to that. For the kids who are a little bit younger um, and you're maybe worried about them being disruptive in the service or anything like that we have a parent and baby room just back there so you go out these doors and on your left hand side you'll see it you can see and hear everything from in there because honestly like why would you have babies in the main service in church you know i'm saying that because my baby's the front row by the way i'm not just no, we love babies, we love kids, but yeah, if you would be more comfortable, then we encourage you to use that, but that's simply all that it's for. If you need to know what's going on in church, we have at a glance, so it tells you everything that's happening, and it's out there at the info desk, and you can also keep up um, via our website or social media, but a few things to highlight. First of all, church tonight, so we have two services every Sunday, and tonight's service is at 6.30pm, we'll continue to look at the book of Matthew. So we encourage you to come to that. And Tuesday night is our prayer meeting. If you are saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we really encourage you that you should be there praying with God's church because we are praying for you. Um, And even if you're not, we encourage you to come along because we're probably still praying for you anyway. But yeah, Tuesday night, that begins at 7.30 p.m. Jackie McCubrey is going to be sharing the word um, before we come and we pray. We don't make anybody pray out loud. We don't make you do anything that you don't want to do, but it is a great service um, on Tuesday nights, and we encourage you to come to it. The Academy continues this week. So again, um, on Thursday night, it's at 7 p.m., so you'll just meet here at church for all those that that involves. Uh, Something exciting happening for the ladies. So the ladies are going on a coach trip to Kildare for a day of shopping and just simply enjoying themselves. And we have facilitated this by putting on um, putting on the bus and the tickets for that cost £20. Um, so if you want to attend that, it's on Saturday the 29th of October and we leave church at 8am. You can purchase the tickets from the info desk there on your way out. But yeah, come. there's still, there's still plenty of spaces left on the coach, but once they're gone, they're gone. Actually, I'm saying there's plenty. I think we've sold about half the tickets. Is that right? 34. So there's 34 um, spaces that are left. So we encourage you to come. 34 sold. There you go. So there's only uh, somebody do the maths there. So there's a few tickets left. Sorry about that. So there's a few tickets left. So yeah, we encourage you to buy it. And if you know somebody who would be interested, buy their ticket too. Sure. Um, and bring them along um, just for the ladies. And we have an event happening for the men as well. So don't worry, the men haven't been left out. I don't know if he's here again. Is he here? Is Jim here? He is here. Jim Weir is going to come up, and this time he is here. So he's going to come. He's going to explain what the men are doing. Thank you so much, Jim. Very funny, Pastor. 
sure he led that. Church, pastors, thank you. Um, I want you to imagine a time whenever we can come to Pastor Matt and we can say, look, see the sins that I've committed? I, I want to have them forgiven. And he'll say, yes, that's fine, but you're going to have to pay me. And not only that, but you might say to him, listen, there's somebody I'd really like to beat up next week. And can, can I pay for that too? And he'll tell you yes. Um, thankfully, that's not what Pastor Matt would say. Master, Pastor, Matt, Pastor Matt would take you to Hebrews 9 and he would tell you that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But 500 years ago, we wouldn't have had a Bible in our hands. And then the Bibles were held by the church elite, many of whom were corrupt in the church and many of whom were corrupted. And so God then has a man enter the stage, a monk called Martin Luther. And he begins then on the 31st of October, almost 505 years ago, he nails or puts the 95 Thesis onto the door of a church in Wittenberg. And later, the theology that, that he spurned on, he didn't want to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted it to change, but they wouldn't and they didn't. And so then um, we have then what was later known as the five solas, getting back to, to God and God's word, that we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Bible alone, for the glory of God alone. And that really captures what we're going to look at on the 1st of November, the day after Reformation Day. And we have lots of posters up, and it, it's titled What is a Prod, which, to be honest, we've kind of taken them down because of some of the things that we were doing recently in church, and rightly so, because that needs to come with an explanation. Um, it is not about loyalism, unionism, sectarianism. It's about God preserving his name and his church. I really want to hear not so much the life story of Martin Luther, who we'll hear from, from a guy called Martin um, Cowan, who's part of Union Theological College, but I want to hear about how God, threaded through the life of Martin Luther, brought about that opportunity for us to move from darkness into the light. So I am encouraging everybody I know, all the guys I know, including those from Catholic backgrounds, to come along and hear, um, because I think it's going to be really interesting. I encourage you, men and women tonight, say to the guys that you know, teenagers and above, um, come along and hear. I think it's going to be a really, really good night. We've lots of tickets already sold. We're approaching about the 80 mark. It'd be great to have this place totally bunged out. Okay? And we're getting a speciality chicken curry from the pastor again, which is, which is just a bonus. So, guys, thank you very, very much. Encourage people to come along. There's more tickets there. I'll be at the wee hockey um, after church, and I can, I can take more from there. All right? Yeah, so as Jim said, you can get those from the info desk out there, and those tickets are three pounds, so that's a complete bargain. We really encourage you to come along to that church. Allow me to pray, and Pastor Matt is then going to come, and he's going to bring us the word. Lord, we thank you for church. We thank you that this is designed and ordained by you, and God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the teaching that we are about to receive, and Lord, we just pray that you would anoint this man as he would um, deliver your word, God, and Father, we just pray that as he would speak, would we, would we hear you? Would we hear your son? And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place, and we pray for each person that is here. Would all of us, would, would our eyes be open further, God? Would our, would our hearts be softened with our ears here what you would have to say to us it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray amen amen good morning thank you for being here jim i think you used the wrong analogy then when you said about coming to see me giving you permission to beat people up for money 
That's our new fundraising idea. That's our new window. Uh, so we come, but just before we come to the word day, we're, gonna, we're going to pray. Most people will know that uh, uh, Linda's husband, Paula's father, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, passed away uh, last week. And the funeral is going to be here on uh, Wednesday morning at 9.30. Um, we're just going to take a moment just to pray uh, for them at this point. Father God, we come before you today. Thank you, Father, the opportunity we have to come and worship and to remember uh, what you have done through us, through your Son. Father, we thank you for church. Father, we know that when one of us suffers and one of us is grieving, Father, we all are, Lord. We all come, and Father, we, we, we just surround this family uh, this morning, Father God. We come and ask, Father God, that you would just comfort them with your presence on the loss of Jimmy. Father, we ask, Father God, that you would strengthen them over these next few days as they come to Wednesday. Father, we, we thank you as we, as we gather as church, Father God. We know, Father God, that we remember, Father, those of us, those people who are hurting, Father. Those people, Father God, who are grieving today. And we lift them up to you, pray for them, and ask that you would draw close to them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. We are continuing on with our sermon series uh, through Matthew. As Reese said, he says we are covering these in the evening as well. So if you feel as though you are missing out on a couple, it's because uh, we are preaching the morning and evening on most Sundays. We've got a desire as part of the vision of the church, the invitation to work our way through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, as you says, has one theme. Uh, it's Jesus and we can think of no better theme to preach on. He says, we know we can come sometimes um, with messages that oh, maybe we'll preach on some principles of life or we'll preach on something that constantly sort of encourages people and lifts people up and stuff. But the job of the preacher, I think, is to, is to teach people truth, is to preach truth to people. It's, it's what will help people most in their, their Christian life. We don't want to just present words to you that make you feel tingly and give you a buzz on a Sunday uh, but we want to ground you in the truth of God's word and we've said this for a while now that the consistent study of scripture is what helps us as believers in our walk with God is what we're called to do uh, and so that's what we're going through Matthew we don't know how long this is going to take um, I've thought about it like this until the last person sits in a chair and nobody else comes on a Sunday then we'll change what we're preaching on but until everybody comes we'll keep preaching on Matthew because it's such a great book such a wonderful gospel with such a great theme uh, about the man Jesus Christ last Sunday evening we looked at the beginning of chapter 3 and John the Baptist makes his appearance and his appearance was a message of repentance he was a forerunner uh, preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come uh, uh, before Jesus went uh, and ministered before we went to the cross and we know Jesus ministered uh, for three years he was bringing his kingdom and, and John said this John said the kingdom is near because the king is coming and the people needed to hear a message of hope and how we need to hear hope today and we, we shared this last Sunday because people had lost hope and people were looking for hope there really is only one place that 
that you can find hope and, and that is in the man Jesus Christ the son of God who is the definition of hope for the lives of people and so we're going to pick this up in Matthew 3 and read just the rest of the chapters we come this morning to look at the son and it says this it says John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist his food was locusts and wild honey People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At the moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice came from heaven said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased we said at the beginning that that John's message was a message of repentance so we mustn't lose that message of repentance uh, there's lots in that story there before we get to Jesus uh, appearing on the scene that we're not going to look at this morning because we don't have time we're going to look at elsewhere but I said this last Sunday and this is so true for us to remember that repentance is a decision that results in a change of mind which in turn leads to a change in action which in turn leads to a change in purpose simply to stop going one way and to live another way that's the foundation the beginning of the Christian life it is the start of it it says the call to repentance is important and must not be neglected it is entirely accurate to say that it is the first word of the gospel we see it here that it is the first word of John the Baptist gospel we see it's the first word of Jesus's gospel in Matthew 4 verse 17 before he goes out and preaches this is his message it is to repent the first word in the preaching ministry of the 12 disciples the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection and the first word of exhortation in the first Christian sermon in Acts it simply is this the first word in the mouth of the apostle Paul through his ministry 
Now, if we take this as biblical uh, of that message, then we must understand that the beginning, the start of the Christian life has to be an act of repentance. Now, repentance freaks most people out at the beginning because we imagine a preacher standing on a street corner bellowing out, repent, repent. And that puts most people off, particularly before you were a Christian, if you heard somebody stand on a street corner. And it's not necessarily the word, it's the message. And you see, we have to understand that at the beginning of the Christian life, the foundation of the Christian life, because it's the start of the Gospels here, the start of the message of the church and stuff, that there has to be that part that we play in it. That simply what it is, it's us stop living one way and to start living another way. Most people want to live as believers when they get saved, but they want to take some of the stuff they've been doing with them, with them almost like an add-on in a sense and actually it's clear that actually the, the beginning of the gospel the beginning of the Christian life the start is this repentance that we have to do simply some things we stop doing and some things that we start doing some things that we need to give up and some things that we need to take up and here John the Baptist message to the people as they come out was a was a baptism for the repentance of sins stop doing stuff wrong and you see, we can't avoid that in the message. We might look at it and say, oh, it's not really comfortable for what we're talking about in the Gospel of Matthew. But it's the beginning of the Gospel. It's the beginning of us actually saying, hey, what we've got to do is stop doing some stuff and start doing some other stuff. It's the first call to following the king and being part of his kingdom. The first thing is we see is that there's no birth without repentance. Because we have to renounce sin, we have to say we're going to stop doing this. Most people struggle because they continue on in some of the stuff that they were doing beforehand. There has to be a clear break, there has to be a new birth, there has to be a start, a beginning. We get that with the turning to new life in Christ. We then come to the second thing, that there's no growth. Because you see, if we don't have the growth, we're not being obedient to Jesus' commands. You see, and John the Baptist was a far more direct preacher than I was, I would be. I mean, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees are there, he simply stops. Now, if we had visitors in and stuff, I would turn around and say, we welcome these people in. Even if we didn't disagree with them, he just gets straight to the point and says, you brood of vipers. Yeah, snakes. That's what he's saying. Not you, but I'm just using that as an example. But that's what he does. He comes direct. Why? Because he understands. He says, they've no repentance. They're, not, they're coming out to see what's happening, but they've no interest in doing what needs to be done. And so we see that the birth is there and the growth is there because you won't grow unless you're obedient to Jesus' commands. And then the third thing we see is that there's no fruit. That there's no, that there's no fruit is the third thing. Without the Spirit's correction, and guidance but as we move on Jesus appears on the scene I have to remember here that there's probably been at least 25 26 years uh, from the end of Matthew 2 where we see Jesus as a, a baby a toddler that suddenly he reappears on the scene now because this is the right time this is the time that he is beginning his ministry this is a time that he's going out to share the good news and John asks a perfectly good question because John recognises and he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Uh, and John is doing a baptism for the repentance of sins, that people are coming, they're repenting of their sins, and he is baptizing them. So we asked him a good question. He said, why do I need to baptize you? Well, and it's a, it's a fairly good question. It's a beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it says, why does John the Baptist need to, I mean, Jesus needs to be the one baptizing John. And he asks this, but there are reasons that we do this. Now, all the way through this, and we've heard it so wonderfully at the table this morning, when something is explained in the New Testament, we find its origin in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament will, is, it will give us, the, the, in a sense, the foundation, the beginning, the starting point. So when it's mentioned in the Old, it's fulfilled in the New. And this word fulfillment runs all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. I've said many, many times, but it's so true that Jesus Christ is the fulfiller and the fulfillment of all God's promises. What we read in the Old, we see fulfilled in the New. And so the reason that this happens, and I'm going to give you the reasons, because we're seeing Jesus at the start of his journey. And it's important we get the foundation of truth of why Jesus came and what Jesus came to do and who Jesus is. So it tells us in the verse that he comes and he fulfills all righteousness. Now we look at it and say, well, if John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, well, Jesus wouldn't need to do that, would he? Because he's never sinned. He never had sinned. He never will sin. He doesn't sin. So... What's he coming to do? Well, we see here that he's coming to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus is baptized because it's preparation and identification of, of who he is. And as the story moves on, we see that, that God, a voice from heaven comes and it declares, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So it's the preparation and the identification and, and, and simply we see this, and this helps us and encourages us as it fulfills all righteousness. You see, up to this point, no one could be declared righteous because the law, they followed the law, and the law would not do what, Jesus, what it needed to be done, which is, means simply this. It sort of gave them another chance, and it moved them on another year and stuff, but it couldn't do what Jesus came to do. And yet when Jesus comes, he comes and fulfills this. He comes and fulfills all righteousness. But the second thing, and this is really important, to announce that this is the time. It's, it's not right for us to say almost that God has a plan. It's better to say that God has ordained something to happen. And when he ordains something to happen, it is always in his time. We can relate this to our lives because how many of us wait for things? How many of us get impatient with God? And yet even in the story of his son coming to earth, beginning his ministry, going on his journey to the cross, it wasn't that it was planned, it was ordained. Let me show you two verses quickly. The Galatians 4 verse 4 to 5 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. I've underlined the two key words there, the set time. If God deals, if God deals with his son at the set time, how much more does he deal with us at the set time and the right time when we feel like God has given up on us and forgotten us? It says at the set time. 
It says at this time it was set, it was ordained, not just planned, but ordained for God to bring forward. He said that fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. What do those last five things tell us there? Fulfillment, fulfillment, fulfillment. Completion, completion, completion. This is why God did what he did in sending his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, which would have been us. He says that we might receive adoption to sonship, that we might become his children. He says, you might think to yourself this morning that God has forgotten about you, that he, he, he does not remember you. You might think that actually he's not interested in me. That's simply not true. Here with his son at the set time, but just to give you another example as well, to, to announce that this is the time. Romans 5 verse 6 says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We see the first is the set time. We now see the second is the right time. God does not make mistakes. He always does everything at the right time and the set time. But listen, faith is believing that it's always according to his time. And you see, we can take that application from that this morning because often, and I remember sharing this sometimes, he said, you know, surely if you were going to send your son to be the saviour of the world, you would want your message to get out there, you know. Today would be a better day to send him, wouldn't it? I mean, we have social media, we have Sky News, we have absolutely everything, don't we? That almost the message could get out there immediately about Jesus Christ. But none of that matters because it wasn't God's set time. And it wasn't God's right time. That at this time was both the set time and the right time for what had to happen for it to happen. So the third thing we see is not just the announce the time, but we see this as well. That it, to associate himself with John the Baptist's ministry as the forerunner of the Messiah. That's what Jesus was going Again, this was a fulfillment of prophecy. In Isaiah, we see, prepare the way of the Lord. Voice one calling in the desert, prepare ye the way of the Lord. It says from Isaiah, uh, it says Matthew writes it at the beginning. Why is he writing it? He's writing it for all the Jewish people who are reading this, says, We've read this before. It's in the Old Testament. When it's said in the New Testament, it's being fulfilled. There is one that's coming. And so John the Baptist was the forerunner, is the one coming with the message, the messenger. And everything he says about the one coming after me is just simply a fulfillment of who Christ is and what Christ has come to do. The fourth thing is this, is we see that he identifies himself with sinners he does not identify himself with sin he identifies himself with sinners the incarnation is where Jesus became a man we hear that word at Christmas more often than not he identifies himself with those he came to save he is not identifying himself with sin he's identifying himself with sinners and the first week when we looked at the genealogy of Jesus, of, of who he came from, he says we identified that there were a few dodgy characters in there. If you were trying to create the perfect family tree, you would leave some of these out. You would say, I'm not putting them in there in the family tree. I don't want people to know those are my descendants, my relatives, those people that I have come from. 
And he says, so Jesus identifies, comes, and he identifies himself with sinners, but not sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful exchange of a verse we read so many times. It simply says this, says, all of us are sinners. With all of our sin, Christ went to the cross just simply says two powerful words for us it says for us me you for us and that exchange happened that Jesus took all of that sin from you from me from the whole world onto the cross with him and it didn't stop there there was that exchange that happened that says that we might become the righteousness of God not just righteous before God but the righteousness of God and actually, what does that mean? Well, it means when God looks at us, he sees us as righteous. I mean, people might look at you and say, you're nothing but a troublemaker. You're nothing but, you want to cause trouble everywhere you go. God looks at us and he sees us as righteous. Not because you're a good person. No, not because, you know, so that's, that's important. Not because you're a good person. Not because you do lots of nice things. Not because you're right some of the times. He looks at you through the eyes of his son because he realizes that Christ took all your sin. And the exchange was, you became the righteousness of God. That actually looks at you and he sees you as righteous. Isn't that powerful this morning of what Jesus did? You see, this was an important step. Being identified with fallen and sinful man. An announcement to the world that here was the Messiah on a mission that would be fulfilled and completed at the cross. An announcement to the world. An announcement that's still there today. The journey begins here. With John the Baptist, a declaration that comes. This is the Messiah, the chosen one who's come. You see, Jesus was baptized. So, sorry, Jesus was baptized, so he was to be identified with sinful man, but he was also baptized to be identified to sinful man. And that's a clear picture there of who Jesus is and why Jesus came and why Matthew writes this today. You see, it is not a display of repentance that Jesus had to give. It was simply a righteous identification with sinners motivated by love. Jesus looks at people, even at that point then, and it was like, these are the people I'm coming to die for. He said, for us, these are the people I'm coming to die for. These are the people I have died for. These are the people I've given my life for. That motivation there is just love to pay the price of our sin that we couldn't do. Matthew's writing this as this tremendous announcement to simply say, has it become to be identified with sin? It's come because he's been identified with us, with you, with me. It says there isn't one person in here that is not motivated by love towards there isn't one person in here that the price, that he hasn't paid the price of your sin, that debt that you uh, incurred in your life. He, he is, he, he's taken that on him to the cross for you. That's his motivation. Uh, and this is Matthew sharing this. And it's not a display of repentance. Jesus has nothing to repent of. It's a righteous identification motivated by the love that he has for people. We see it throughout the Gospel of Matthew, his genealogy, which uh, I've already shared, his identification with people uh, through his family tree, his name. 
She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus for he will save people from their sins right from the outset. Name the child Jesus. Why? He's going to save people from their sins. It says that identification with sinners, his baptism here that we see, his temptation, that which defeats every man and woman. The temptation, it's an identification not with sin, but with sinners. His trial, Barabbas, the guilty one, goes free. His crucifixion is nailed on a cross between two thieves. He identifies with sinners throughout his ministry. It's why Isaiah writes in, 53, in chapter 53 verse 12, it says he was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sin of many. That's why it's written, written in the old, fulfilled in the new. Who does he identify with? Sinners. That's who he identifies with. And the good news, that's us. Because in my life and your life and one point we're dirty rotten sinners that thought nobody could love us particularly God. Why God would send his son Jesus for me but he did. Because his whole journey through the gospel of Matthew is his identification with sinners from the beginning to the end. Set Barabbas free, the guilty go free. What happens in the Christian life? We're guilty. But we go free. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. The two thieves on the cross. Guilty. He says he makes a promise to one of them. He says today you'll be with me in paradise. He identifies with sinners all the way through his gospel. You see and as we see he's baptised. We see another important event happen in the life and ministry of Jesus. We see the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon Jesus and he says it alighted it set down landed on him must make this clear now Jesus doesn't become because sometimes people think Jesus became the son of God at this point or, or this gave Jesus the power to to start doing what he needed to do Jesus was always the son of God uh, that, that's where we must clear that up it, it wasn't something that just happened and he saw you know got whoop, blasted now I'm ready to go that's not what happened he was always the son of God this is just a recognition this is just an identification here this is just God saying here this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased and it says that he descended like a dove well the dove in the Bible symbolizes gentleness innocence and meekness but it was also offered in sacrifice Leviticus 12 verse 6 says a young dove is to be bought as a sin offering Leviticus 14 verse 22, two young doves, one for sin offering, another for burnt offering. And again, what do we see? We see the picture in the Old Testament and is fulfilled in the New Testament in the life of Jesus. We heard it about the hyssop this morning. It's pictured in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the life and death of Christ in the New Testament. Here we see it here. What is it? It says a young dove is to be presented as a payment, as a sacrifice for sins. It was a temporary thing. They don't have to do that anymore. For Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of that. It says and we see this here, that picture you see, and the spirit comes upon him here. And, and it just simply says, and, and we see all of the examples here as I move on. He says, Jesus would fulfill much of the symbolism of the dove, the gentleness, the innocence, the meekness. Because again, we see it in the old 
and it is fulfilled in the new not just pictured in the new because it's a danger sometimes we look at it and we say oh there's a picture in the old and we match it to the new and stuff listen it's fulfilled in the new it's completed in the new it's completed in Christ Jesus because we see that he is the prince of peace he is the promise of new life he is the pure and perfect sacrifice for sin and he is the way for all to come before God there is no need for the old way anymore for Jesus has fulfilled and completed it he is peace he's the promise of new life He's the pure and perfect sacrifice for sin. He is a way for all to come before God. He says, we came this morning and we came to the table and, and we remembered the sacrifice, the once for all that it talks about in Hebrews. It says, the Sunday you need to start to worry is when I bring a live goat in down the front of church here. And I bring it up to the table here and simply say, it says, Jesus' sacrifice is not enough. And I cut his throat and let the blood fly everywhere. That may well be my last Sunday as well. But if we have to do that, it's not complete. It's not finished. It's not fulfilled. But thank God this morning that it is. All through Jesus Christ. Spoken of in the old, fulfilled and completed in the new and you see, we see that God spoke here to announce not only that this was his son, but he was different from every other man. That, that God calls him, he was the beloved son, for he is the precious one. He was the begotten son, as he is the one and only. There was always a journey, I think, that God watches his son go on, knowing that it ends at the cross. And God is the one that knew where it was going to end. Yeah, this was his precious son. And for those of us who have kids, in a, you would watch this more because this is Father God watching his son. And he goes to the end of his life and he watches the suffer, suffering and the torture of an innocent man. And what is so powerful about God is that he could have stepped in any time. This was his son. This was the one he declares here that he loves he says it again in the transfiguration he says this is my beloved son whom I love and you could see almost at that point and that 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 heartbreak almost that he could step in and he doesn't because he knows this is what has to happen to open the door for each and every one of us to go through the door to have a right relationship with God we must never underestimate what has been done for us. We must never come to think it's not enough. It is enough. It will always be enough. God sent his son, his beloved son. And we see here that picture of the Trinity. And I'm just not going to spend a long time trying to explain the Trinity because a little bit of it, well, a good lot of it is sometimes unexplainable. But it's a wonderful picture here in this passage of the Trinity. That simply that God is one in being while existing as three co-equal, co-eternal persons who are divine, distinct and different. And we see it clearly here in the verses we've read. As soon as Jesus God the Son 
was baptised, he went up out of the water, at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven, God the Father, said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. God the Father loves God the Son, and communicated that love by God the Holy Spirit. Here we see that love relationship and cooperation. This is more than unity. There is probably no word to describe the harmony, the perfect unity that is pictured here. And often we don't do it justice while we try to explain it. But what we do see is a picture of the love the Father God has for his son Jesus before he goes out to minister to the world, before he goes on his mission to the cross. And in this occasion we see the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit all manifested, all shown at the same time. As Matthew was declaring to the readers here in this passage, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And in summing this bit up, it simply says, God so loved his Son that he gave him all the world for his possession, but he so loved the world that he gave his Son for its redemption. Oh, what a powerful quote that is. I'll read it again. God so loved his son that he gave him all the world for his possession, but he so loved the world that he gave his son for its redemption. You see, here we see the picture of that. And my time has run out. Uh, but I want us to take hold of this. As the Spirit descends upon Jesus, and there is that empowerment there is that, that descending upon him before he goes out to be tempted in the desert. The necessity of Jesus to be empowered by the Spirit, to also spend time every day alone with the Father praying, always makes me think if the Son of God has to do this, how much more do we have to do it? How much more do we have to do it? He knows that that key is right, right relationship and fellowship with his father. How much more so for us? He says the picture here is a picture of God loving us so much. He gave his son. He gave his son for each and every one of us. And none of us this morning, regardless of our spiritual condition this morning, that says I've been saved for 40 years, or I'm not even saved at all yet. He says this message that God sent his son for you, is uh, true and the foundation and the beginning and everything that people need in their life. He's the hope of the world. He's the one that's come to redeem. He's paid the price. He's done everything imaginable here because he is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you we are reminded this morning, Father, just through these words that have been spoken. Father, we allow your spirit to continue to speak to our hearts, to our minds today. Father, the picture of what we read in the old is fulfilled in the new, it's completed in the new. More specifically, completed in your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent him at the right time, at the set time. And Father, we thank you for that today. 
But Father, as we journey through this, Lord, we thank you for that. Father, that actually, when we read that verse, it says you did it for us. That exchange from the sins that we have committed, that we might become the righteousness of God, that we are seen as righteous by you because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we come because we know what you ask in return is not that we repay that debt because we can't. It's not that we could do something to work that debt off because we can't. That we will try and earn our way into your love. We can't. You love us this morning as we are because we are seen through the eyes of your son who went to the cross for each and every one of us who paid my debt and it was my debt alone I come and say thank you but Father for the debts of us all here to enable us to sit Father and be with others to worship you to trust you, to have faith in you that if you did all of this at the right time and the set time for your son you will not let us down those who are waiting, those who are wondering if you have given up on them, Father, you have a right time and it's your time because it's a set time. And we just thank you for that today. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Amen. Church, if you'd like to stand, we're going to sing a closing song together. Thank you, God. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed the sin of man and Yeah.
to thee and now the dead is paid it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled and now the curse of sin has no hold on me cause whom the Son sets free oh it's free indeed and now my dad is paid salvation through your son Jesus Christ thank you for the son thank you for all that he did on the cross thank you Lord for our place in your kingdom thank you Lord that it can never be taken away thank you for your precious son thank you for the precious blood that was shed for us and Lord, I pray that today as we, would, as we would go about our lives, would that stay with us, God? Would we, would we remain in a state of understanding, Lord, how precious that was? And God, we just thank you for a time spent in your house. It's in your son's holy and precious name we give thanks. Amen.